0: Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is physical therapist, Dr. Lauren Lapierre. And not not only is she a physical therapist who specializes in treating runners, she is of course a runner herself, as well as being a running coach and a running rehab specialist. Now, this week we are finally tackling the big topic of knees. Why are knee injuries and knee-related issues so common in runners? What is it about the knee joint, the way that our body moves that make our knees so susceptible to running-related injuries? dealing with the more common kinds of running related injuries, like runner's knee, huge catch all phrase there and it band syndrome and what you can do to help make your knees less likely to be prone to injury. And especially talking as we usually do about up and down the kinetic chain and how everything in our body is always connected. Dr. Lauren Lapierre, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. So tell us, Lauren, how did you become
1: a runner? Uh, So so long ago now, it feels like, um, because I've been running for 15 plus years. But I started in middle school simply because at the time, I was pretty shy. And one of my friends was just like, come to um, the cross-country team and try out. But it wasn't really tryouts. It was just like, essentially a mob of pretty much all age children. (laughs) And she wanted it to essentially make me come out of my shell. She was trying to be a good friend and it it really did. Um, It helped me grow in so many ways. And my parents didn't really understand it at the time because they are not runners. So they didn't come from that background. Um, My parents are fit and they always exercise, but they never did like, heavy sports and so they were kind of like wait you're gonna run and i continued from that point on and it was initially kind of to almost prove them wrong because they didn't think that i was gonna stick with it they thought that i would eventually get bored of just running um and if anything that just made me want to dig my heels in deeper and show them that i can do this and yeah it, it just kind of snowballed from there um i actually didn't run for the team uh, in middle school in my eighth grade year. I started in seventh grade. Um, I didn't make it on the team. They actually did have a switch and a coach and I wasn't brought onto the team for whatever reason. And that whole year and into the summer, I decided to train and prove that I was worth something and I could come back stronger. And next year I went to high school and got back on the team in high school and went to varsity, um, States that, that fall. And I've had ups and downs in terms of the relationships that I've had with my coaches. And that's really what's transformed me, I think, into the runner that I am today, into the coach I am today. Um, and just continued to kind of push this relationship that I have with running forward and, and grow and transform in
0: so many ways. As a coach, obviously, and as an adult and a a medical professional, it must be so interesting to look back through the lens of the experience and knowledge you have now and think, if I were a middle school cross-country coach, I would not have done (laughs) that. Exactly. (laughs) Or maybe that, like, oh my gosh, this one random coach I had was one of the best coaches in my entire life. They are a, a, a diamond in the rough. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and you don't. uh, So I actually was just a part of two separate running camps in New England, um, Northeast Kingdom Running Camp and Foss Running Camp, and I was a, I was there as a guest speaker as well as a staff coach, and I got to be with all of these high school kids and some of them middle school going into high school and one of the big discussions that I had with a lot of the coaches there is you don't realize how much of an impact you're really having on these kids for decades to come. Um, I mean, I still remember my first middle school coach and one of the things that he said to me when I ran JV States in middle school, like it was maybe like a two mile race and it felt like the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. And he was just like, just keep going, just keep trying. And the fact that he saw how much it already meant to me and he believed in me in that moment, again, is what like catapulted me forward and believing into myself. Um, And how much of, again, how much of a difference maybe my experience would have been if I had a different coach at that time that didn't give me that one instance of attention and the thing that you say and actually that it matters. So I've realized how much the, the, The voice in terms of what we say to our athletes matter, even if we feel like we're repeating ourselves over and over and over again, one point will stick or it'll stick for somebody in a different way that you never thought it would
0: actually matter. And and it, it does make a huge difference. Especially for those developing athletes, I know it's such a and this is like an entire, entirely <laughs> separate conversation. Everybody's like, I thought they were talking about knee injuries. Why are we talking about like <laughs> coaching teenagers? Um, <laughs> but um, so tell us, tell me how you became a physical therapist. Then obviously, you know most sports physical sports specific physical therapists tend to have a background in athletics. Did you always know you wanted to become a physical therapist?
1: Um, no, uh, I had like a very polar opposite, like question mark of what I wanted to do when I was in high school, I was like, either I'm going to go into the medical field or I'm going to be a lawyer. And (laughs) I'm really good at arguing. I'm really good at like kind of like figuring out and going through the like ins and outs. And I think that also is what helps me as a physical therapist as well. Um, And looking at people's pain, because I'm very methodical and I'm very, uh I look very deeply and I look at all of the different points of view of like, all right, how is this being influenced? And that's one of the reasons why I take such a holistic approach on my, the way that I work with my clients now. Um, But uh, at one point it just kind of became a obvious that, I didn't really want to go into being a lawyer. It seemed like way too much work, in all honesty, and a lot a lot more schooling, even for what I had to do for physical therapy, um, long hours and lots of stress. And I was like, that just doesn't seem like a great life. So I decided to go down the road of physical therapy. And it initially was simply because I it sounded like the perfect meld. Of being able to be active and understanding more in depth medical terminology and deeper complexes that the body actually has. Um, I honestly think that it's our body is quite magical if you think about everything that it has to do on a daily basis and how infinite possibilities happen because of what our bodies are capable of. So I started doing um, some like internships and volunteering, and along the way, I obviously realized how much running impacted me, um, and that's what kind of drove me to kind of focusing more and more on that side of things. And it happened after – I've worked in a lot of different settings. It happened after a period of time where I was just trying to figure out who I was as a physical therapist and what I really wanted to focus on because that was another reason I went into this field. I loved the fact that you could work with so many different populations and the entire cure for regardless of who you were working with was movement. Um, it's in the name, physical therapy. So, but eventually I figured out that runners were my niche. They were my people and I love working with them. I love seeing them like thrive and flourish in their ability to run. Um, and then going into creating my own business was because I was seeing that it will be the traditional way wasn't kind of working for, for runners. It wasn't meeting their needs. They were getting discharged too soon because they were too high level in terms of an insurance, um, gauge, but in terms of if they were actually feeling pain, they were. And so they weren't actually getting the care that they needed. Um, they weren't being treated at the level that they needed to, because the medical industry doesn't value movement at that higher level. They think, oh, if you can walk, then- it doesn't matter. Just don't run. And that's not an answer. Like you should never tell a runner that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've joked on this podcast before, but you know, if you go to physical therapy and your physical therapist tells you not to run, it better be because you have a stress fracture because in most other situations, yes, running is typically okay. Maybe less running than you want to be doing. But right. like you said, movement is the backbone to a lot of the, you know, the, the what, you know, cures, what ails us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh,
1: Running can be therapeutic, which people don't realize. People don't see running as something that can be rehabilitative. Um, And that's again, where I, the way that I program things and I create structures for people that are coming to work with me through in pain is it's really strength-based. You actually had a recent guest and he posted about how training is just rehab and rehab is training and um i think it was sprint science i forget his name off the top of my head but i know know his instagram not a guest yet but
0: (laughs) future episode future episode
1: um so he talked about how training and rehab are the exact same things it is the all it is is a different grading system Um, and what your specific goals are at that moment. But regardless, it is the exact same thing. And that is what is so important when it comes to looking at running and how to continue to run even when there is certain levels of pain. You can absolutely continue to run through pain. It just, like you said, may have to be modified.
0: I think one of the misconceptions about running and why it gets a bit of a bad rap in terms of people assuming that running is degenerative by nature, which we know that it's not, is that running-related injuries are relatively common, especially, well, I'm going to say common amongst the entire running population, but more so with newer runners, right? So they start running, they get injured, they think, oh, running's bad for me, I got injured, and they stop and they never run again because running is bad for me. And, And obviously, today we're talking about knees, One of the most common running, running related injuries are knee related injuries and the persistent myth, misconception, absolute falsehood that running is somehow bad for your knees because running causes knee pain so often and pain is bad. It's not, um, therefore running must be bad for your knees. Mm -hmm. And that's so, that's not true. We're going to kind of debunk that. Tell us why. (laughs) <laughs> briefly, briefly explain explain yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and then tell explain us about about how the knee actually works, though. Like, what is the role of the knee? How is it structured, and why isn't running bad for your knees?
1: Yeah, so running is absolutely not bad at your knee bad um, for your knees. Actually, when they've done studies of runners and an overall joint health, they have seen that runners' joint health is exponentially better and more durable, um, versus a sedentary person. So our joints are actually much stronger and more durable and able to take on these loads because of the fact that we run. So it is not inherently bad for our knees. Um, why in terms of why knee pain occurs in running, um, there is definitely like a host of factors. It isn't ever just one thing. Um, obviously we can talk about like the simplest of going too quickly into a training cycle or ramping up too fast or going into, um, a training cycle and adding speed too quickly. Those things are the obvious we're overtraining under recovering. We're not allowing enough gradual progression in our running to be able to have that happen, um, succinctly so that the joints can kind of, load appropriately and take on that, that new load. But when it comes to actual anatomy and what I look at, um, obviously shoe wear can be a, an area that we look in depth to. And if people are in overly stable shoes, um, so stability shoes, um, they're not inherently bad, but not everybody needs them as much as they think they do. Um, overly cushioned shoes, also not great because they eliminate the foot's ability to perceive the world around us. We can't feel um, the ground if we have like four inches of dense foam in between us. Um, that impacts the, us wearing shoes impacts our foot's ability to kind of move through natural movement and that's going to affect how the knee then moves. Um, and then on above the knee, you have the hip. So if the hip is not necessarily moving in the most optimal way, or we don't have enough range of motion, or we don't have enough strength can be so many different things. The knee can take on again, some of that load or some of that movement to essentially kind of compensate and compensations are not inherently bad. Compensations are what make us efficient at continuing to move forward. Again, it's a magical thing that our body's like, Hey, no matter what, we're going to continue on. We're going to continue pushing forward. Um, but it's when we lose the option of both. And that's what I tell my runners. I don't want to stop you from moving the way that you've moved 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long you've been doing this for, um, or just been alive for. I just want to give you more options in your movement now so that you can move more efficiently when you do go for that run. Um, in terms of the knee joints role. Uh, it's a hinge joint. So it flexes and it extends, but it also has a rotating mechanism within it as well. And that rotation is super important for loading when we come into stance phase and propulsion when we push off and go into swing phase.
0: The knee is a magical joint. It really is. <laughs> yeah. I heard somebody describe the knee. I think this is another podcast episode, I think, but basically said that your knee, whatever's going on with your knee, if it's angry with you, it's basically amplifying the issue that's happening either up or down the chain, mm-hmm. right? So because if, you're, if your knee is being overtasked, if it's having to overcompensate, it means that somebody else is not doing their job correctly. And we need to find and fix that thing, not the knee itself. Because although you can do things to strengthen parts of the knee joint, like you can't there's no there's no strengthening exercise that like strengthens the joint like we can do bicep curls and we can do squats and we can do deadlifts we can't do something it's like this strengthens your knee joint because that's not really how it works yeah you can improve your knee joints acceptance of
1: load and tolerance to it just like we improve our body's acceptance and load of tolerant of more mileage or faster pacing but in terms of when we look at exercise selection You're looking to improve the integrity of the connective tissues surrounding the knee joint. So you're thinking like your tendons and your ligaments. Um, And then you're looking to improve the the strength and stability of the muscles that are supporting that knee joint. Um, And exactly the the knee joint, I see it as a almost like a train stop um, in how the foot is shifting weight to the hip or the hip is shifting weight into the foot. So it should just naturally kind of progress and move forward and weight shift through, not necessarily hold tension around the knee. Um, And that's something that I have to kind of coach my athletes out of doing because our innate tension ends up coming around the knee joint. And that's where people feel their most discomfort. They're like, this doesn't feel comfortable. And usually it's because they're not either relaxing their feet or they don't have the stability and strength in their hips or mobility in their hips to be able to have their hips do a little bit more work for them.
0: Let's talk about one of the most, I want to say it's like this nebulous descriptor of a running related injury. That's not a really helpful thing. If somebody says, my knee hurts, clearly we need more than that. And runner's knee seems like not a cop-out, but a really vague way of describing <laughs> an injury that's really it. common. I love it. Yeah. It,
1: I, there are definitely some descriptors of pain um, that happen in the body that I'm like, it's just a cop-out. <laughs> it's just a way to kind of like put a label on things, which people love labels. People love being fitting fitting into a box and knowing exactly what's happening with them or where they quote-unquote belong. Um, but would you rather have a label and not really have a direction to go in terms of improving that or not have a label and know exactly what you're supposed to be doing and how you're going to get to be better and be pain-free. Um, so I don't ever really say like, oh, you 100% have this going on with you because pain pain is pain to me. And we just have to, again, improve the efficiency and the communication and the ability of the, the body to kind of work together and have opposite movements, um, and, and options in the movement. But yeah, patella pain is definitely very common in runners. And again, a lot of the reasons that I see this happen is because, so if we, if I start bringing in some, some terms that some people should know, you got pronation and supination in the foot. Pronation is when the, the joints relax, they open up the foot lengthens and loads. So you're thinking of when you come into that classic runner stance position, the foot is grounded on the floor, um, or on the road and the foot should be lengthened in that position. You should have a degree of pronation or that rotation inward of the foot, because that's what allows you to lengthen and load your arch, like an elastic band that then essentially helps you to propel and push forward that propelling and pushing forward is you recontracting those muscles, those joint spaces closing, and then your foot becoming more rigid, coming into a supinated position to propel you forward. Now, if we don't have the lengthening side of things at the foot, that's where you'll see more people have their knee dive in when they're running. So the knee is again compensating for the lack of mobility or access to a movement or strength to control um, through the foot. And this can also be said for what's happening at the hip. The hip should also be rotating inward, which is the same thing as pronating. It's, it's, they're almost one and the same. We just use different terminology for it. So the hip should also rotate in for that loading mechanism We should see that whole cascade of a chain going down like that so that the whole leg can load and generate this force. And then from there, we should see almost the exact opposite happen in terms of the foot becoming more rigid, the knee extending, rotating slightly out, and then the hip doing the same to propel and push us forward. Cause that extension and rotation outward that gives us our power. So that's how, If we don't have it happening at the foot and we don't have it happening at the hip, the knee will figure out a way, the body will figure out a way to make that movement happen one way or another.
0: And so we're talking about this general runner's knee, knee discomfort. First of all, what does that usually feel like, right? So we have runners who are saying, I have knee pain. And let's say you're just kind of verbally going through, describe where it is. What does it feel like? And then is, if we're talking about runner's knee in quotations, you know, is this an inflammation, an irritation? Like what is the the source of the discomfort in this situation?
1: Yeah. So usually when there are repetitive load injuries, such as like patellofemoral syndrome, IT band syndrome, anything like that, even patellar tendinitis, usually there is some level of inflammation and irritation to one or more structures. Um, again, because they're being overloaded or they're being more, they're being compressed more, um, or they're, they're not working hard enough, whatever it may be. Um, so in terms of what people normally feel when they have patellar femoral syndrome, it can obviously be very, very individual to the person, but usually it's just a general discomfort to the entire knee. So people will just like kind of when I, when I see them, they just kind of like rub their entire knee and they're like this whole thing, this whole front thing feels very uncomfortable. Sometimes people have more pain towards the inner side of the knee. Um, again, they're having more of that internal rotation happening at the knee that can explain why there's more stress and strain happening on the inside. Um, but usually it's a general discomfort, achy, dull, usually it's not sharp, Pain. Um,
0: it can happen, but usually it's not. I've also somebody in my in my early Googling career of um, running related injuries, um, somebody was like, Oh, if it's up near the top of your kneecap, it means this. And if it's down at the bottom of your kneecap, it means this. And that seems like a, mm, maybe, but maybe not. <laughs> so in term, if there was pain more towards the top of
1: the knee or underneath the kneecap, that may be more tendon related. And then we would look at the patellar tendon or the quad tendon. Um, usually that happens more for, for running downhill. So when I was at these camps these past couple of weeks and these kids were upping their mileage, they were also running in Vermont and New Hampshire – All of them are from Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, not really very hilly areas. Um, Some areas are, but not, not to the degree that Vermont and New Hampshire can be. And a lot of them at the end of the week complained of knee discomfort because of the increased load that they now were having, not from running uphill, but, but from having to control the downhill. And downhills really work on our ability to lengthen and load our muscles and our tendons. And our tendons don't really love that. Whenever whenever we're working on tendon health and tendon resiliency and durability or um, pliability, they, they get a little bit... Um, chatty, I kind of say to my people. I'm like, they're usually going to talk to you. They're usually going to let you know that this does not feel well. But as long as you're kind of staying in that discomfort of like a one or a two while we're doing an exercise or even while you're running, you're still in a safe zone to proceed forward and progress forward. Um, It's when we see those higher levels of pain or
0: pain lingering after a run or after an exercise that we want to modify things. So let's talk about this a bit more in that just because something is causing discomfort does not mean that you need to stop or that whatever you're doing is innately bad Mm -hmm. it just means that you're loading a little bit faster than your body might like but under certain situations that's maybe desirable and Mm -hmm. also like it's kind of you want that like you wouldn't so these these kids we're gonna use them as our guinea pigs in this show Like you would never say to them, oh my God, you all need to stop running immediately and rehab your minor knee discomfort. You would say, and logically think they have increased their volume. They have changed the intensity, the terrain of their running in this very short period of time. Ideally, after something like a running camp, you do have a bit of a deload, right? You have a down week or maybe two weeks. And that's intentional to allow your body to absorb what you have just done, but like it's okay for them to be in a state of very mild discomfort yep. given the circumstances of their situation.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a lot of these kids did come up to me and talk to me and want advice. And I did some um, specific sessions with kids. i also did like an overall, like, Hey, if this is happening, this is what you do. And I gave them some general advice in terms of like where to go from that moment. Um, and pretty much the advice, like depending upon the pain level, the the advice was proceed with caution um, and then try some of these exercises. And I, how I look at pain, it's like a green, yellow, red light system. And there's two variables that I look at. I look at the pain intensity. So zero to 10, zero being no pain, 10 being emergency room pain, like you're mauled by a bear emergency room pain. I have to like preface that because some people are like nine out of 10 and I'm like, you're not crying. (laughs) You're you're not in nine out of 10 pain. You would be like almost knocked out unconscious if you were 10 out of 10. Um, So we look at the pain scale from there. And then we also look at how long this pain is lasting for after whatever thing is causing the pain stops. So, If the pain is between a zero and a three, you are in the green. You are able to proceed with caution. You don't really have to modify anything. You just may wanna start doing some specific exercises or reach out to your coach or physical therapist if you have one to be able to kind of monitor and go forward from there. Yellow would be four to six. So at this point, we're modifying things. We're either decreasing your mileage, changing the terrain, maybe not doing speed work or doing more speed work. If that feels better for you, all depends on the the person. So we're modifying the variables that come with your running so that it feels better for you to be able to run. And then the red, this is where we 100% have to stop running at this point do not proceed, go see a physical therapist, specifically one that has running experience um, is the seven and up. That's where we we really have to take that halt, take that rest time, recovery time, and um, do some specific modifications and exercises to to manage the pain. But that also that pain scale also mixes in with how long the pain's lasting for. So this is where it gets a little like, complicated and the colors can mix a little bit. So again, if we're thinking the green, the green zone would be, okay, I stopped running and within two minutes, pain is gone. We're fine. Proceed as you want to, um, as your plan is kind of set up for you to, and then maybe just start doing some specific things to help that area be, um, a little bit stronger and feel better. Yellow would be pain is lasting, infrequently over the course of the next couple of hours, it's not just constantly like stabbing, but like it's it's there and it's, it's uncomfortable and you're aware of that area. Um, so if that's lasting for a couple of hours, say after you run or you do something, then again, we wanna make some modifications. We wanna take down the intensity. We wanna change around the variables of the terrain or whatever is happening um, to cause that irritation to occur. And that's something that you would just talk through to figure out what the, the variable that is the most irritating is to kind of pick that out. And then red, if your pain is lasting for 24 hours, 48 hours, multiple days after you stop running, um, then again, we need to back off and we need to take some time off. That could be a week. That could be two weeks. Um, It honestly depends on the person, the area that is injured, um, previous injury history, and how quickly they react to getting this looked at. If you start in the green when your pain is obviously just fresh and like it's not really causing too much discomfort anywhere else, you're not gonna have to go down a huge long rehab hall. But if you're starting at the red, and you wait a couple of weeks and then start running again, and, but you never did anything in those two weeks to really kind of address the injury or make modifications and you just go straight back into it, then obviously it's probably going to rear its ugly head again or something else is going to pop up or both. And then you're going to have a little bit longer of a time trying to get back into running. And that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that not just runners, but people in general just make of thinking it'll go away with time and not addressing it when it actually happens.
0: And I cannot stress this enough, especially if you have a big race on your calendar that is like an immovable object, waiting is not your friend. If you know you need to be ready to run a marathon by January 19th and in November, you have knee pain that like kind of came and went, came and went, you had to take a couple, like you missed a long run because of it. And you just like waited it out. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's still there, yep.
1: <laughs> hiding,
0: waiting to hop up at the most inopportune time, which is probably right before your race. Yep. Yep.
1: I, yeah. And I talk to people. So I always do discovery calls with people, um, before I start working with them. And it's a free call that anybody can do with me where we, we talk about your running experience. We talk about what your current training is, your injury history, anything that you're currently dealing with and what your goals are. And if somebody is coming to me and they're like, Hey, I got this race on my calendar, but this thing just popped up and blah, blah, blah. I am usually very candid. And I'm like, you have this very small window right now. Where things can change for you in the positive, so that you can still reach that goal of running X time or completing the marathon or whatever it may be. But if you do not act in this time and your pain continues, you're gonna have to modify, you're gonna have to change your goals, or worse, you're gonna have to drop out of the race. And like, I don't ever wanna be the person to tell somebody that, but. That's the reality of the situation. If I do not tell you that right here, right now, I'm not doing you justice. I'm not giving you the the full understanding of what your scenario is based upon what you've told me thus far.
0: And for you, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know for me as a coach, if somebody asks me a question, not necessarily injury related, because I'm always like, go see a PT. I'm not the person for that. I'm not the person for that. Go see a PT right now. But if they ask me a question about maybe where they currently are and where they're trying to get to in the in the obstacles they faced, and long story short, like I don't want to tell you no. It hurts my heart to say that what you're trying to do isn't possible. And so we're not being downers when we're telling you it's really not a recommendation. Like that's probably not gonna happen, or mm-hmm. flat out, no, you can't do that. Because we want to say yes. We want to make people feel good and be able to chase their goals. So if a if a running professional or a medical professional who is, understands runners is telling you that's not a good idea or that's significantly unlikely to happen, like just listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's
1: definitely a tough conversation. I hate having to have that conversation. Honestly, I haven't had to have it many times because most of the people that I work with they are being proactive they are trying to make this change they've seen the fact that traditional pt has not done them justice and they're they're wanting to make that commitment to themselves to actually have that longevity in the sport and just have a healthy life as well like it's not just About running, like some some of the times, people's goals with me is like I just want to be able to play with my kids, and I'm like, yeah, you should be able to do that without having pain. Um, And the fact that because people are put into this runner category and they're just kind of dismissed because their pain started with that, I just don't feel is right at all. Um, But definitely, people act on act on it when something happens. You don't need to be in immense pain to have to see a professional it may improve really quickly because you were proactive with it. You may need still a structured program to really hone in on the imbalances that may occur, may have occurred that caused this thing to happen. But most of the people that I work with, I tell them that they can be out of pain within the first four to six weeks of us working together because of the fact that they're being proactive on this as long as it's not something that they've been dealing with chronically. Chronically, there's usually a different story there, but they'll still see a huge decrease in their pain within that first four to six weeks if they kind of commit to this program. And not even at 100%, like you can commit 10% of your time and you'll still see improvements.
0: I'm sure you must see a lot of people come in and say like just some weird stuff when you're like, okay, that's, that's not better though. And one of my favorites that I sometimes see will a runner will kind of justify why they continue to run despite being in, I would call at least the yellow zone is that they'll say, yeah, but you know, when I, when I changed my gait, uh, it felt better. Mm-hmm. Or when I run like this, or if I only run downhill, if I only run uphill or if I only do this, then it doesn't feel as bad or the pain, you know, goes away. That's not a good thing either. <laughs> You're just no. changing where the loading is occurring.
1: Yeah. So I don't really work with the something that people think is uh, interesting that I actually tell them is like, I'm not going to change your gait. I actually don't really look at people's running form at all. Like I've done it very, very sparingly because- most of the times I can figure out what is probably happening based upon more simple movements. Um, when we're assessing each other, there's so much happening in the running gate to be able to look at someone's gate and be like, Oh yeah, that's 100% the area. That is the quote unquote problem. No one can do that. And if they're saying they can do that, they, what? Well, they're apparently brilliant because there's so many little minute movements that are happening in the body at this time. Um, And yes, you can change or modify how you're running to continue running so that it is a little bit less painful. But again, you don't want to do that forever. You want to be able to get back to what you normally would do um, so that you can improve the efficiency of what you originally were doing and you can return back to your, your status quo and work on improving that and strengthening that.
0: I look at gait as more of a, of like a a summary of somebody's ability to move, like so if there are, like kind of funky things going on with your running form, you don't need to change your form, but there may be things like mobility or strength deficits, and again, it's like where the PET comes in, where strength training comes in, and where you know that kind of stuff, but like. I never would say to a runner like we need to work on your back kick first of all. It's like a passive movement you can't. But you know, so people are always wild, like, "Can you analyze my form?" And like when I'm doing a very basic, let's see what we have here. I'm looking: at, Are they moving? Do they look like they're moving fluidly? Do mm-hmm. they look like they're limited anywhere? Are they doing anything that's obviously like weird bent overness or weird leaning backness? Because that signals that something we talked about the kinetic chain and like compensation is that something's not working properly. And it's not that your form is the issue. It's that there's like a a stuck cog in the machine. Exactly. Exactly. So running should be
1: pain-free and thoughtless movement. It should be fluid. It should feel normal. It should feel quote unquote normal, whatever normal is, but it should just feel natural. Um, and I love that thinking of it as like there's something that's stuck or something that's misfiring or not communicating well. That's what I talk about a lot with my people. I'm like something, there may be a miscommunication happening between your brain and your rib cage, your brain and your hips, your brain and your knees, your brain and your feet. All of, It's a very long pathway in terms of what our nerves actually have to communicate if you think about it. Um, And it happens so rapidly fast that we need to just work on improving that communication between the body to make it more of a fluid movement. Um, But when I talk to people about their running form, I'm like, however you're running right now is most efficient for you. It's the most efficient form for what you can tolerate at this period of time. And as you run more, your form will improve, your efficiency will improve. Just like when you go to the gym for the first time and you decide to squat, you're probably not doing a very pretty squat the first couple of times you do it or even the first month that you're going and squatting, but eventually you then start to squat with a bar, you start to squat with weights, you progress and your form improves with time because your body has learned to control and coordinate all of these different things that are happening during the squat. Same thing with running, except it's a lot more dynamic. It's a full body movement versus just the lower body. Um, And so your form will improve with time, like you said, with the right mobility strategies, strength strategies, and just having patience and consistency in your running.
0: So let's talk about IT band syndrome then, because this is a really good, I think, illustration of a situation like that, because runners knee... We kind of talked about that you know, nebulous descriptor for kind of vague knee pain, knee mm-hmm. discomfort. But IT band syndrome is something that's pretty concrete. If you were to Google it, there would be diagrams and it would say, this is IT band syndrome and this is the cause. The funky thing about IT band syndrome though is that while the discomfort originates in the knee, the source of the problem is not the knee. So if you're trying to like fix IT band syndrome by doing something to your knee, that's not how you fix it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So IT band syndrome is essentially an irritation inflammation of the iliotibial band, which connects the outside of the hip to the outside of the knee. And it is this really thick, fibrous connective tissue that connects these two points and gives us lateral stability of our knee and into our hip. Now, what people think that they can do with this fibrous tissue is that they can stretch it and that they can foam roll it and then it'll loosen up. No, you can't do that. (laughs) Um, they have done studies where they have put tons of like weight through a cadaver IT band and it will not change the amount of tension that is in that band, no matter how much it is stretched, pulled, forced, whatever it is, it just has this strength and stability that it will naturally maintain. So what I think about when people say that they have IT band syndrome, it's more so the fact that they're over utilizing that lateral quad complex, which sits right underneath the IT band. So, and you'll see this with a lot of people that have IT band syndrome, they're the outside of their quads are very developed. Um, they're, they're more, uh, structurally sound than maybe the inside of their quads or their inner thighs or their hamstrings. And so that innately puts more pressure and more force through the outside of that lateral leg. And that's where you're going to end up potentially having more irritation if you're just constantly using this one muscle or this one strategy to load into the knee or load into your hip, because it can go both ways. So, when you think of IT band syndrome, what I try to get people to do more often than not is actually work on using more of their inner quad. So, and the main complex would be the VMO. That's a big um, word in terms of the uh, muscle complex when looking at the knee and like improving the stability on the inside um and then looking at increasing your inner thigh or your adductors not your abductors but your adductors add um because that's going to improve the strength of again that inner complex of the lower leg and um leg and that's going to improve just the natural levelness the balance on both sides um and yes part of the complex a lot of people think of IT band syndrome oh i have to strengthen my glutes Yes, maybe, Um, but it all depends on you. You may actually not need to strengthen your glutes. You may actually need to take some tension off of your glutes and learn how to load and lengthen that side versus constantly contracting. Um, That's a big issue I have with the fitness community and, again, traditional healthcare. We have taken these concepts and we've applied it to the entirety versus realizing that certain cues, certain things like- pushing your knees out um, actually shouldn't be done for every single exercise. As I described earlier, your knees should rotate in slightly. They should come over the big toe. They should bend over the the foot um, because that's how we load into our feet, into our knee, into our hip when we run. If we're constantly just pushing our knees out, well, then we're not ever teaching our body that it's safe to move in. And we're not learning how to strengthen that mechanism that needs to happen. So if we're constantly pushing out, then of course, the lateral complex, the lateral quad, the IT band is going to become more irritated because it's never getting to lengthen and load. It's never getting to relax, quote unquote. Um, muscles don't turn on and off, but it's never just getting to to take a break from constantly being in this shortened
0: and like almost gripping position. So Earlier in the episode, you talked about stability shoes and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of things that in my mind, if I were to connect the dots on, you know, either, um, like innate issues that prevent our bodies from moving the way that we, they, they want to, or things that are physically preventing our bodies from moving the way they want to, again, not anti-stability shoe. But a lot of especially new runners end up in stability shoes and they probably don't need them. They just need to learn to run more efficiently just means running more. And I say I was when I was a new runner, when I got fitted, I got put in stability shoes. Mm -hmm. And I think within three months, I was like, I I had IT bands and I was like, I don't think I need stability shoes. Like this isn't helping me because if you're preventing your body from moving the way it wants to, Mm -hmm. it doesn't like that.
1: No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. New runners get put into st- into stability shoes all the time. Um, I believe it was the Foot Collective that just like did a post on this that shared a an idea of like how podiatry in terms of giving orthotics and giving stability shoes like came about when the running movement like really went into a big boom. And It was essentially instead of teaching people how to run or how to utilize strength training to make your running better, we just gave people these braces that essentially stopped them from doing the thing that they were doing a little too much of. But if anything, it only made their body kind of worse because now they were stopping the natural progression of what their body would probably would have just strengthened on their own. Um, And so... Stability shoes, orthotics are not bad. They can be super, super helpful for somebody that is in an active um, pain complex. And if like like in terms of plantar fasciitis, super helpful to help somebody that is in acute pain. But they eventually need to learn how to come out of it. They need to learn how to load and strengthen their feet and their knees and their hips to be able to take on what they're, needing to do in running versus requiring this external support to do it for them we would never live in a shoulder brace for the rest of our lives if something happened to our shoulder but yet we're so willing to constantly put a brace on our knee or a brace on our ankle or an orthotic under our foot and just do that for forever because that's what we've taught, been taught that like, oh, I just brace it and it'll feel better. Yeah, because the brace is taking on some of the load. The orthotic is taking on some of the load. But the reason that it's never gotten better, it's still something that's problematic is because you've never taught your knee or your foot
0: or your ankle how to do that for itself. Do you see this a lot? A runner comes to you and says, I have knee pain while running. And the person at the running shoes store said, I over-pronate, so They put me in stability shoes. Yes. All the time, yeah. <laughs> all the time. And I don't necessarily
1: fault the, the people at the running stores, what they're seeing that, I mean, they're doing it with the best eyes that they possibly have and the best knowledge that they ought- possibly have. But that being said, people's feet can do some really funky things um you can be pronated in a part of your foot and then supinated in a different part of your foot so your the front foot can be in a certain position the back foot can be in a different position one foot can be in pronation versus one foot can be more supinated so low high arch um type of positions and they're just trying to do it with what they see in front of them but It also depends on how the person's standing in front of them. If you're standing with your feet more pointed out to the side, your feet can look completely different in that position versus pointed straight forward or pointed inward. Um, so they're doing the best that they can, and I I give them credit for for the for trying to help people. And again, it's not necessarily wrong to be in a stability shoe. I have some stability shoes that I use for my longer runs specifically to help me when I get more tired. Um, if I'm, if I'm running for 10, 15, whatever miles, your form's going to break down. doesn't matter who you are. It's going to get more fatigue. So I do wear a stability shoe during those runs because I know down the line, my form's going to break down a little bit and I'm going to need a little bit of help from the shoe. But on my daily runs, During my workouts, I'm not using a stability shoe because I want my body to get stronger in those things. And I'll sometimes use it depending on the length that I'm going in my long run as well to, again, progressively load. So that's where having somebody that is knowledgeable about the feet, is knowledgeable about the shoes, is knowledgeable about running all together will help you just figure out how to just progressively load. I keep saying this over and over again, but it's really just about that. It's in terms of pain management and in terms of running.
0: Let's talk briefly about those little bandy things that you mentioned because I get so I get some weird <laughs> DMs about like, can you please rep our product, this, that, the other? And I've gotten some really like weird like really bizarre ones, but a fair number of ones that are saying, we've developed this device to help runners run pain free and it's a it's an ankle thing or it's a knee band or whatever it is. First of all, I'm like, go away. No. Second of all, like you said, that's not, it might temporarily make you feel better, but is it solving the long term problem? No. It, like, and I see this a lot with runners who say, but it makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. We're not saying you shouldn't use it because it, it's, if it makes you feel better, that's fine. We're not acknowledging that it doesn't help but is it a long-term solution? Like I don't want to have to wear weird IT rubber band braces around my knees for the rest of my life to control mm-hmm. my knee issues. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it whenever people ask and people ask me the same question like should I use this device or should I use this or what about these? Have you heard anything about this? um, like one of the kids actually asked me about like this electrode device. And I was like, what, (laughs) what are you putting on your body? What do you mean? Um, and I was like, how do you even have access to this? You're like 16. There are passive strategies to help with pain. So that could be your orthotics. That could be the, um, braces that we put around a knee that could be using a, TENS unit or foam rolling or massage, um, Graston, um, any of those options using compression socks, all of those things I would say are more passive. You don't actively have to do anything except maybe put it on, um, or uh, attach it to you like that. There's nothing that you actively have to do to engage, to, to do something, to help with pain management in this, Then there are active strategies and it's those active strategies that I really try to promote with my runners because yes, the passive stuff's going to make you feel good for five to 10 minutes, but it's not going to actually last. It's not going to translate to your running, to your ability to to load and move as you would as a runner. So you want to be able to – simulate the demands of what you need to do with your exercises and that's where a a lot of the programming that i do starts maybe off as pain management but then it quickly progresses into a strength-based program and a lot of the exercises don't necessarily change they just become a little bit harder but you're doing the exact same thing and now all of a sudden you see it as oh this is something i could do in the gym and people wouldn't give me weird looks but like if I was down on the floor, just doing straight leg raises the entire time, people would be like, what are you doing? Why are you just doing knee rehab? But if you're doing like split squats, lunges, if you're doing um, single leg knee bends, if you're doing um, squats, deadlifts, all of those things, all of those things can be very therapeutic to actually load and rehab something. It's just at that higher level and you need to slowly build up to that. To be able to get there, but those are the active strategies that are going to make the long-term changes that you're needing in your programming to supplement what you're doing when you are training for
0: a race. I mentioned ice earlier, um, and because, like I said, I get a lot of DMs and about injuries, even though I'm very upfront about I'm not a physical therapist, and so often the runner will say, you know, I'm experiencing this. This happened. I've been icing it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What is the recommendation for using ice in a rehab or therapeutic setting? And I say, should a runner come home from every run, slap some ice on their knees, and call today?
1: <laughs> um, so I have, one, um, if you are... If you are experiencing pain and ice feels good for you, great. Like, that's fine. Again, if it feels good and it helps or it makes you – it gives you that placebo effect of it's doing something, fantastic. I'm not going to tell you to stop doing that um, unless it's something that I truly think is actually harming you. But in terms of icing, if it feels good, that's perfectly fine to do. Would I do that every single day after a run? Not really. Um I don't think that that would really help in terms of recovery standards as well. It also would be a very stark contrast from how warm your body is during that time to getting really, really cold, really fast. And like, if you're doing water immersion in terms of like cold therapy, that's one thing. Um, but just like putting ice on a specific area, not necessarily I think would be as therapeutic or recovery helpful or helpful in recovery, I should say. Um, When it comes to using ice versus heat, so ice, we think the theory is, is that it helps to constrict blood vessel, um, so to, it actually decreases how much blood is going to an area. It also decreases how fast nerves are able to fire, so we're decreasing how much maybe fluid is going into the area, and we're decreasing any pain signals that may actually be able to be fired during that time, um what i traditionally say is if you are cooling down for the remainder of the night not necessarily directly after your run but like it's later in the evening and something's a little sore use ice then because you're already cooled down you're relaxing everything's kind of going on that downtrend before sleep anyways when it comes to using heat heat in theory opens up and dilates the blood vessels so it's bringing more blood flow in now, that can be very helpful if we're trying to clear out inflammation, we're trying to get rid of any dead or dying cells. Um, I see heat as actually being very helpful in that regard in comparison to ice sometimes. But it can be if there's already an inflammatory process going on and we see external swelling, that's where heat ne- not isn't necessarily the best modality to utilize. Um But again, it has the same effect on the nerves where, because the nerves are getting so overheated, they can't fire as quickly. So the nerves fire a little bit slower, pain decreases again because of that. Typically I say if somebody is about to go for a run and they have something that is um, irritated, they could use a heating pad on that before they go out for their run. Or you could just actively warm up. (laughs) Again, we're talking passive strategies, but if you wanna use that heating pad on on your knees before you go for a run, that may help to bring more blood flow to the area to feel a little bit more um, fluid and mobile to go out for that run and then later in the evening using ice. Either way, you wanna use it for only like 15, 20 minute intervals and you wanna have it not direct contact onto the skin because you can burn yourself with ice and with heat. Not just It's not just with heat that we can burn ourselves. Ice burns, really suck. I've done that to
0: myself. (laughs) I also think, you know, it's, it's the context that it occurs in, like, you know, every so often, if you want to slap an ice pack on something, that's probably fine. If ice is your best friend, it's probably time to make best friends with a physical therapist instead.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yep. (laughs) That or ibuprofen. Ibuprofen also, like if you're constantly popping ibuprofen or Tylenol, let's let's save your liver and your kidneys and let's work together
0: <laughs> yeah like legally as a running coach I am not allowed I'm not even allowed to express an opinion like no don't take this or yes you should and I even going through the US ETF certification like I'm not allowed to hand anybody anything <laughs> um but when somebody asks me like should I take ibuprofen I'm gonna say and my, my response is if you feel like your injury, that your discomfort is strong enough that you require painkillers or some sort of non anti-inflammatory drug, then I would also recommend looking at making an appointment with a physical therapist. Yep. I yep. love that response. <laughs> like, I'm not telling you not to take it, but I am telling you to go see somebody who can help you fix this. Exactly. <laughs> real. exactly. All right, let's talk about fixing things. I think that somebody who hasn't been to physical therapy or maybe has had a poor experience with the standard physical therapist, may not understand what runners are like. Mm-hmm. If I were to come into your clinic or we were to do an assessment for my knee pain, what would that look like? So I actually work, um, I work out of my home and
1: I, I do see some people in person in the local area. I'm in Rhode Island. So I see some people in Massachusetts, some people in Rhode Island, but I actually work more in a coaching capacity and I, I do that to be able to have greater access to, runners all over the world. And I work virtually with these people. Um, So we would hop on a Zoom session. And like I said, everybody always goes through that discovery call first to kind of make sure that we're the right fit and that we're going into the right program for your specific needs. Um, I have different programs based upon what people are looking for. But first session, we, one, would go over anything new if it's been a minute since we've last talked and just trying to, again, go into that pain complex a little bit deeper finding out what is specifically causing that irritation because actually more often than not it's not usually running related running can be irritating but usually there's other things that are actually more bothersome um, in in the pain complex um, so we go then through an entire functional assessment and i look from head to toe I'm looking at, again, how the body is communicating with other parts of the body, and we would then take, I take screenshots as I do this so that I then can kind of show you, hey, this is where your movement is happening from, or this is where we're maybe not getting enough movement happening. This is how it relates to running and why it's important. And so Obviously, a lot of the stuff in terms of looking at knees, I'm looking at how the feet are moving. I'm looking at how the hips are moving, but I'm also looking at how your back is moving, how your rib cage is moving, because that can dictate a lot of movement happening in the lower body as well and where our weight is shifting. And once we have those kind of basic understanding of, okay, this is what's happening and this is probably what's resulting in your knees being irritable, let's start doing some exercises to kind of modify that. Um, or just give your, again, your body options of both. And so we will go through specific exercises to work on improving mobility, improving strength. And then we'd obviously dive into the running side of things and looking at what the current running program is, what their plan is, do they have a structured plan? Um, and then building that out so that they have some guidance of how to continue running or progress back into running pain-free.
0: Yeah, key emphasis on that structured training plan, Um, I have no data to back this up, but anecdotally, I find that people who reach out to me with injury questions tend to not be following either like any plan, they're just kind of doing their own thing, or they're following a plan that's way too aggressive Mm -hmm. for where they currently are. Like, oh, I was running 20 miles a week, but now I'm training for a marathon, so I'm running 60. Or, I took a break for six months and now I'm running 30 miles a week. It's like, well, yes, of course you've injured yourself. Like, duh. <laughs> you just, you just did, you took all of the load and without any sort of progression, just kind of dumped it all in your body. And you're wondering why, you know, you're sinking into quicksand.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Again, it's about that progressive load, it's about that slow increase. You can't just, we can't make those jumps, whether it's in, running, exercise, life, like it's going to increase the stress on our body internally, externally, and that's really going to impact how our body feels. And I talk about how the main like, process of what like, or the main goal, I should say, of what your brain's job is on a daily basis is to survive. And then it's just assessing every single situation that it's putting you in. And it's like, are we still safe? Do I feel safe? And pain, isn't always indicative of a injury or a problem um, or damage. It's oftentimes the only way that your body can tell you, I don't feel safe right now. I don't feel like we're doing something that we should be doing. Maybe you should rethink this and then we run through it instead.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then I just went went for like a casual run. I mean, I didn't run like the whole run I was supposed to do or – I just did a little bit of speed work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Um, And then it flares up and it gets even worse and they're like, I don't understand. So um, and I I, I say this from a place where I have literally been in your shoes. Sometimes I'm still in those shoes because I, I talk about myself as if I have a runner brain and then I have my PT brain and I know what i should be doing when i think from pt coach lauren that like this is what i should be doing but then there's the runner side of me that's like well like but you could just go for that run you could just go that extra mile you could try to do some pickups just because you want to and i'm like no <laughs> so i i have to have those internal dialogues with myself and it is it is hard and that's one of the reasons again why i love working with my runners because i am just as crazy about this sport and do some crazy things just like all of you do for my for my birthday this past year i did a um i turned 29 but i was like i want to do 29 miles over two days now in the past i would have been like i just want to run 29 miles but i knew that i wasn't in shape to do that so i was like i know that i can probably do 20 miles right now in a run and then hike nine miles and I did that, and I did it pain-free, and I did it without injuring myself because, again, I progressed myself to that point, but I also knew that it was going to be a bit of a jump from what I had been doing, but I knew what my body could tolerate in terms of creating that load. And, again, that being said, it was a little bit of a crazy thing to do, and I understand that, and that's one of the reasons why I want to help support other runners do these crazy things that we want to try with our bodies and, and want to progress with our, with our running.
0: And to be honest, like it is this thinking it is this hunger and this fire and this desire to push our bodies. I think that makes runners so special and makes us such a unique kind of of breed mm-hmm. where we are continually trying to push the limits of what is capable of we 're capable of. I'm just asking you very gently and kindly as a coach to, like, please pick and choose the situations in which you choose to push yourself to the limit. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Like, we can't push every single day, but, like, once in a while is a good time, that 80-20 rule in terms of, like, choosing choosing how crazy we want to be, maybe being crazy, like, 20% of the time, and then that 80% of the time we're we're being structured, we're being diligent, we're being consistent. Um, and then we can be crazy 20% of the time and not have those things happen.
0: And of course this is not everybody's goal or they've no interest in doing this, but to have the kind of, you know, solid base as a runner to say, like, I want to sign up for this half marathon literally the night before I don't have to train for it. I can run 13.1 miles. I can race it well, mm-hmm. or to say, yeah, I want to hop into this Ragnar or yeah, I want to do this like ultra with my friend to have that ability to say, My body is this amazing, glorious, adaptive thing that can do so many hard things. And if I keep it healthy and strong, I have so many more things I can do just right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think that, again, translates to
1: this conversation about pain and knee pain in particular. So many times when people have an injury and have like their knees bothering them and they, they stop. It's this inconsistency in the training, this stop and start, this stop and start that actually prevents you from getting to that point and and being able to make these quote unquote riskier decisions or these um, spontaneous decisions to, to run this race or run this far just because you can. If you have that consistency, if you, if you address these things, if you build yourself up and have a strong base, a strong program that addresses your limitations and works on improving your efficiency and progressively builds your load, even if you just stay at that base year round, you're going to, again, have so many
0: more options available to you to be able to, to do those hard things because you just choose to. So, Lauren, if a runner is listening right now and thinking, all right, I think I need a little bit more guidance in my life, I am tired of dealing with these aches and pains that take me down for a couple of weeks at a time or that don't seem to go away. How can runners work with you? How can they find, follow, and learn from you? So, you guys
1: can follow me on um, Instagram at the personalized running doc. Um, I am on there trying to make funny reels and be entertaining and educating at the same time. Um, DM me, say hi. I love talking with all of the people in my DMs. Um, if you have a question, I'd be happy to answer it for you. If you are interested in working with me and just finding out more about my programs, um, the link is in my bio, but again, you can DM me and I can send it to you directly there, but it's, um, the personalized running slash schedule, and you can schedule a free discovery call with me today.
0: And I, I say this over and over and over again to my runners, to the runners in my group programs, to anybody who DMS me with like a minor injury question, a physical therapist is your friend. They are going to help you run better. Farther, faster, stronger, they're going to keep you running. Don't feel that going to physical therapy is, in any point, some sort of like weakness. In fact, if you are going to physical therapy, it's because you care so much about what you're trying to do that you're willing to invest in your body for the long term. I want you to think of it that way.
1: Absolutely. I think one of the reasons actually people reach out to coaches like yourself and ask for your opinion is because they're they're almost afraid to ask somebody like me because so many times I get on these calls and they're like, are you going to tell me not to run? And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, I'm not going to tell you not to run. Like based off of what you're telling me right now, you're absolutely able to continue running and continue moving forward. Um, If we do have to have that conversation again, I'm going to try and make that period where you have to take a purposeful rest as short as possible. But that also doesn't mean that we're doing nothing. We can do other things during that time and we can brainstorm to make it possible for you. But yeah, if you guys are scared to ask that question, again, work with somebody that understands the, the background that is involved with running and figure out how to best um, support yourself with somebody that, that has that understanding and love of the sport as well.
0: Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge with us. I know that knee pain and knee issues are very common amongst runners. And I hope that we've had a chance to teach some people some stuff today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again.